And I pray today that you will just create a deeper hunger for us, in us, for your word and for your presence. We thank you and we praise you. Speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Welcome once again. My name is Craig and I am the, uh, one of the other pastors here. Um, I do want to thank uh, all of our musicians, but especially Deanna. Uh, Kevin is still not home, as are none of our mission team except Buster and Charlotte, who hijacked a plane and made it back somehow. Um, but uh, uh, with age comes wisdom, I suppose. But uh, uh, no, uh, most of you are aware by now, but uh, we had a, about a dozen folks that uh, went to Edinburgh. Uh, we're going last Sunday as well. They were supposed to get in last night about 930 they are not here yet, so they are, um, they are somewhere between New York City and here in some rental cars right now. Y'all pray for them as they travel back, but uh, they had a, a successful week, uh, a lot of wonderful things. It was very, very uh, powerful to bless them in that time, so um, keep them in your prayers, and we will hear from them. You were supposed to hear from them tonight. You won't, because they probably won't be here by then. Uh, but uh, they will be able to sleep in their own beds tonight. We'll still have some mission things this evening. We're going to hear from some stuff from the Lynch trip, and i got a couple of things lined up. But uh, just thank you so much for being here. Uh, if you're a guest, uh, we're glad you're here. And some of you walked in and looked around and said, well, I'm kind of glad those other ten folks aren't here because we're not sure where they would sit. So, um, but uh, they, they did have a wonderful week. I won't steal their thunder, but a lot of great things that happened for them. All right, if you are a guest, thank you so much. Um, uh, all those children that left earlier, I, I, they seem like they multiplied to me. I don't know how many of them there are, but it's like that, that Gremlins movie from the 80s. You get them wet and they just sort of multiply. I don't know. They, we seem like we had about 1,000 to walk out this morning. Um, so, uh, but uh, if you came and you brought a kid, you're, you're part of the problem. Um, <laughs> but we celebrate those problems, and uh, we are grateful for that. A couple other reminders, um, uh, if you are ready to be baptized, uh, get with us. I've got uh, some to meet with now. I've got a, a post-it note on my Bible to grab one of you before you leave today so that I can set that up for some of our kids, but uh, lots of folks that have made decisions for Christ and need to be baptized, and we're anxious to do that in the coming weeks. So please make plans for that if you haven't already. Um, Love, Serve, Give is this afternoon, so um, if you want information about what that is, you can ask Erin Taylor, and she'll be happy to help you. Otherwise, just show up at Food for the Soul at about 4.30, and uh, they will allow you to jump right in and get involved with them with that very special ministry. All right, again, thank you so much for being here. I think I've gotten through all of the housekeeping things that we needed to. Um, and uh, again, thank you to Deanna and the musicians who uh, worked that in seamlessly, so I uh, do appreciate that. Okay, by, I didn't tell you, but hopefully you looked and you're supposed to be in Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. We're going to begin reading in verse 14 and we're going to read all the way to verse 29. So stand with me if you would in honor of God's word. Hear now for this is the word of the Lord. King Herod heard of it for Jesus' name had become known. Some said John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he is Elijah, and others said he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John, that is John the Baptist, okay, uh, who had sent and, and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. 
And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders leading the men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that we would see this um, terribly gruesome story of rebellion. And in it, Lord God, that you would give us a window into our hearts. To the ugliness that lives within us. The incredible power of the cross of Jesus to wash us clean. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. This is not actually a part of the sermon, but I just want to give you this real quick. Something that we have in our culture today that is relatively new is sort of a celebrity worship. And in the Christian culture, the evangelical Christian culture, um, lots of evangelical Christians get really excited the minute that they see some celebrity that, that, that shows something that might be able to be construed as being Christian or God-honoring. Herod was a superstitious man. Herod was a popular man. Herod was not a religious man. And yet, the Bible teaches us that even though he was perplexed by John, he heard him gladly. I want to suggest to you that it's possible that King Herod maybe probable for a man who wanted attention the way that he did, had he lived in the 21st century, would have been known as the kind of guy who would be tweeting out John the Baptist quotes every single day. And there'd be a whole lot of Christians living in that time frame that would go, look at King Herod, he's got it! All the while, never taking time to look behind the curtain and to see the man behind the mask, the man behind that. Be careful who you give your lot to. Be careful who it is that you trust. Be careful that we don't get wrapped up in a celebrity culture. Beware. All right. Listen, I'm not going to mince words with you this morning. The purpose of this sermon is one thing. It is to present the gospel with the hope that some of you here today who do not know Jesus will accept him as your savior and pass from death to life. That is my goal today. No smoke, no mirrors. Right from the beginning, I want you to know that I'm going to give you the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is my hope and my prayer that upon receiving this word this morning, that you would repent and believe, period. If you came in here today and you know without a shadow of a doubt that you're a sinner separated from God, then know this, God sent you here under a divine appointment to hear the good news of Jesus proclaimed so that you might be saved. 
George Washington was responsible for the first mass military inoculation in 1777. At the revolution, as the Revolutionary War raged on, it is estimated that 90% of the deaths were caused by disease and infection. And the smallpox, vi smallpox virus was the most vicious of all of those diseases. Washington and Benedict Arnold and Benjamin Franklin, among others, feared that the havoc of smallpox in the army would actually be the ultimate downfall of the American effort. With that fear living among so many of the American leaders, George Washington ordered that all of the Continental regulars should be inoculated with the smallpox disease to guard them against worse infection in the future. This was the first mass military inoculation that had ever been done. It was still a little bit uh, uh, experimental. There was not 100% proof that this was going to be effective. And yet, of course, what did happen is that it actually was effective and it by exposing those soldiers to a weakened form of the disease, most of them were able to build up an immunity to the disease. They were exposed to the smallpox and therefore were not able to contract it later. You know, my great concern is that many of you in here today have been exposed to the gospel and have become inoculated to the power of Jesus. Many of you growing up here in the South have been so regularly exposed to the things of God that you've actually developed an immunity against the things of God. You've developed an immunity because you were exposed to a weakened form of it. Today, I want you to hear all of this word. Your sins have separated you from a holy God. As a result of your sin and mine, we deserve punishment in a real place called hell. But the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that Jesus died on a cross to save you and me from our sin so that we would not have to spend eternity separated from Him, but instead we can spend eternity with our Heavenly Father in heaven. In the new Jerusalem as it comes down. And yet some of you have become hardened to the truths of this message. This morning, I want to ask you, have you made peace with Christ? Have you made peace with Christ? Just like Washington's soldiers who have been inoculated, and finally, as a result of that, were able to make peace, as it were, with this disease. Have you been able to make peace with Jesus? To make peace with this gospel? Has it infected you to such a degree that you can't shake free from it? That it owns you? Consider Four points this morning from Mark chapter 6. The first thing I want to say to you this morning is don't shoot the messenger. Don't shoot the messenger. You know, when we don't like a message, one of the easiest approaches is to ignore the message and instead to attack the messenger. Isn't that true? Somebody walks in and they say, hey, you look fat in those pants. How many of us go, oh, really? Well, maybe I shouldn't have eaten those extra donuts last week. No, who do you think you are to say that to me? Look at you. Have you looked at yourself in the mirror? You see, in that particular situation, we've not actually dealt with the message. The only thing we did was attack the messenger because the messenger said something that we didn't want to hear. Herod and Herodias didn't like what John had to say, and so he was imprisoned and eventually killed. Now, I want you to understand what John had to say was true. 
It was doubly true. As John stood before him and said, you shouldn't be married to that woman, it was true for at least two reasons. First of all, what we know is that he had been his brother Philip's wife. So this was an adulterous relationship. They met while Herod was away visiting his brother. They met. They, they conspired in their illicit way that they would each leave their spouse and the two of them would be married. That's what happened. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that Herodias was actually Herod's niece. This was an incestuous relationship. Now, the family tree of Herod is so twisted and strange, I wouldn't, I wouldn't attempt to try and explain it to you in here in words. Even when it's written on a page, it's hard to keep up because everybody's named Herod, and you're not really sure who is what, right? So there's Herod the Great, and Herod the Tetrarch, and Herod Philip, and Herod this, and Herod that, and there's Antipas, and Antipas is one of those people that I just said. I just get so wrapped up in it. I, I, every, every one of my commentaries this week laid it all out. I tried to think about a family tree. I mean, I was just so blown away. I don't know, but what I know is this. I know that Herod had decided to marry his brother's wife, who was also his niece. For at least two reasons, he was living in a sinful relationship. John the Baptist stood up. John said, Herod, you ought not be married to that woman. Herod didn't say, oh, you're right. I, I, I shouldn't be married to her. Uh, uh, you know, uh, nope, nope. Herodias didn't go, oh, he got us. You know, nailed it. Here we are. I, I'm your niece. And, and, and no, no, they knew all of those things. They didn't want to hear all of those things. There are many of you here today. Living with your sin, knowing that it's wrong, but choosing to embrace it because you do not want to face the reality of the consequences as they are written in God's Word. Listen, I know that what I'm going to say to you this morning is not popular or comfortable. See, because I'm telling you that you are wrong. You see, as, as Christians, and especially as evangelical Christians, we, we've really adopted sort of a false understanding of the gospel you see we talk about the good news of jesus and it is but that good news is inherently bad and that's the part that we somehow seem to gloss over when i share the gospel with you when i tell you that you need jesus christ to be saved or you will burn in hell what am i saying to you is that you are wrong you have the wrong answers, you're walking in the wrong path, and you need to trust Jesus to be 100% right. See, I recognize that I don't earn popularity points by looking at people and saying, you're wrong. And yet, regardless of whether or not it's popular or comfortable, I'm here to tell you today that your sins have separated you from your God, and you will pay for those sins unless... You accept Jesus as your Savior. I'm even telling you that some of the things that you are comfortable with are sins. I'm going to say that again. Some of the things that you like are sins. Some of the things that feel good are sins. Somewhere in our culture that has been really co-opted by psychology and therapy, therapy has become the religion du jour of our, of, of our world today, especially in, in the United States. And... And, and the goal of much secular therapy is not really conversion in any kind of way. Instead, the goal of much secular therapy is for the person in, in, that, in that setting to, to grow comfortable with who they really are. 
We don't need to change. You just need to grow comfortable with the person that you are. You need to make sure that no matter what you're doing, that you don't carry any guilt for it. Because if there is no objective right and wrong, whatever makes you feel good is good and right for you. And so when I stand in front of you today and say, even if it feels good or makes you happy, it is still sinful, I recognize that I'm not earning popularity points. And yet the Bible tells us that this is true. Because there is an objective authority in the world, and it's this right here, the Word of God. And the Word of God tells me that lying is a sin, and because I am a liar, I will go to hell. The Bible teaches me that stealing is a sin, and stealing will send me to hell. Idolatry is a sin. If I worship idols, it will send me to hell. And can I remind you that many of us are worshiping idols today that we don't fall down before in worship? They might not look like an idol of centuries past. Sometimes they look like a football team emblazoned on a t-shirt or a band or a movie star. But there are other things that the Bible lists as sins that we don't like to hear. Fornication is a sin. Sex before marriage, it is a sin. Adultery is a sin. Disrespecting your parents is a sin. Divorce is a sin. Gluttony is a sin. Covetousness is a sin. Gossip is sin. Homosexuality is sin. You see, many of these things that I mentioned are near and dear to the hearts of many of you here today. For some of you, gluttony is not just a sin. Some of you, it is your idol. It is that thing that helps you cope every single day. For some of you, covetousness is just the way that you live. Looking at all the things that people around you have and wanting them for yourself. Some of you, if you didn't gossip, wouldn't have anything in the world to say. And we've really messed up because in the church we've made light of some of these things. We've made light of things that God takes very, very seriously. Your sins have separated you from your God. Those things are sinful. See, some of these things are things that are near and dear to you. And here I stand as a preacher in front of you to tell you that you have engaged, if you have engaged in any of these things, even if they you ready, don't feel like sin, they are still sin. Sin is not sin because of how it makes you feel, but because of how God designates it. How do y'all feel about like hot Krispy Kreme donuts? See, I love that chuckle I get sometimes. (laughs) Like, here's how I feel about hot Krispy Kreme donuts. I feel like I want to eat a half a dozen. And some of you think that I'm weak because I stopped there. Because you want to eat like a dozen when they come off of that thing, you know? If I have milk, I might could do a dozen. I don't know, but just straight. I can't take it. Now, the whole time, somebody might be looking at me going, dude, that's going to kill you. And the whole time, I'm sitting there going, it doesn't feel like it's going to kill me at all. It feels good right now. Well, now, Krispy Kreme donuts are actually a great example because what, well, I I do. I can't speak for all of you. Some people might have, like, iron stomachs. I'm not sure. Like, I can eat a half a dozen of those things in, what, a minute and a half? I mean, it doesn't take time. It's not hard. But about 30 minutes later, I experienced that sugar crash. I mean, on the back side, y'all, they want to lock me in a padded room and just leave me for a little while because I am not a fun person to be around in that moment. You see, it feels really good until I have to deal with the consequences of that decision. It feels really good even when people are telling me that it is wrong. 
For some of you, there are pet sins in your life that feel really good. But the day of judgment awaits. And we stand before the Lord, I don't get to say, well, I did it because it made me feel good. It can't be a sin because it made me feel good. And the Lord looks at us and says, depart for I never knew you. But God, I felt good. Perhaps the Lord looks at us and says, but I had more in store for you than how you might feel in a moment. I wanted to give you eternity, but instead you chose your own way. I don't come this morning proclaiming a popular message. And I know that as I stand in front of you and tell you that you are a sinner, that it can be tempting to just completely shut off, to shoot the messenger. Who does he think he is? Well, if he says that, how is he so perfect? Herod and Herodias heard John's message, but rather than heed the message, they locked John away in a hot, dark, dank prison cell. Don't shoot the messenger. Don't shoot the messenger because you don't like the message. My question for you this morning is not, do you like the messenger? My question for you this morning is, is the message true? Number two this morning, so first, don't shoot the messenger. Number two, don't stifle conviction. See, rather than addressing his sin, Herod chose to imprison John and ignore the conviction in his own guilt. Go back to um, Mark chapter 6. Uh, Verse 20, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. Again, what if Herod tweeted this? John's a great guy. John's the best. I I, I really respect all the things that John has to say. (laughs) Send. And everybody goes, look, Herod loves John. But then Herod threw him right in the jail. Keeps him chained up. He likes to hear what he has to say, and he's perplexed by it. It bothers him, but see, Herod has become a master at ignoring his own conviction. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed. I don't know what that means. Greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. He kept hearing him, and yet he wasn't changed. Why? It appears that though Herod knew what he was doing was wrong... But he was unwilling to change. Let's be honest. Most of us here don't have to be told that we have sinned. Most of us need to act on what we know to be true. Isn't that right? Most of us do. Most of us, if we're honest, are willing to acknowledge that in those moments of blatant sin in our life, there's not a shred within us that's going, this is the right thing to do. Instead, there is within us the stifling of our own conviction saying, I don't care if it's right or wrong, it feels good, and this is what I'm going to do. Herod knew what he was doing was wrong, and yet he did it anyway. Rather than dealing with his sin, he just stuck John, stuck John in a prison, shut him up, And in so doing, he stifled his own conviction. Stifling our conviction is easy in the 21st century because we have so many things to distract us. You know that? We have so many things. Some of you are probably already escaping this message right now in a daydream about what's going to happen this afternoon. Some of you already made it to the lake in your mind, even though your body's still stuck right here with me. 
Some of you might have already pulled out your phones to check the weather or the news or the sports score because it's easier for you to be judged for having your phone out in worship than it is to face the truths of God's judgment. Oh, how dangerous and easy it can be to stifle conviction. Galatians 5.17 tells us that the flesh is opposed to the Spirit of God. Our flesh doesn't want to hear this. It doesn't. If I were to ask you this morning how it is that you, what is your favorite method for stifling conviction? You see, nobody's ever put it to you that way. And to be totally honest, nobody's ever put it to me that way either. But if we were honest, every one of us could probably identify a go-to habit that we have when we get to feel bad about something. When we, when we sense the Holy Spirit pushing us somewhere that makes us uncomfortable, we don't want to go. Most of us have a habit that we turn to to say, oh, well, uh, rather than that, I'll do this. Usually, it's a mindless activity. Because if you turn that TV on, you can shut up every other thought that you have in the world. Listen here. This thing right here can distract me in a minute. I mean, just keeping up with, with the president's tweets can keep me confused for months at a time. I can read the news and be convinced of how awful our world is. And then I can click over to the other news channel and realize that the real problem is that news channel, and this is how awful, awful, awesome, awful our world is. Maybe I don't think I had enough caffeine this morning. My words aren't coming out right. I'm stuttering. How do you stifle conviction in your life? It's a scary thing to think about. I heard a guy say one time that the way that he guards himself against moral impropriety in his marriage. And occasionally he goes to the front door, and before he walks in from work, he stops right there at the door, and he just takes a moment to imagine, what if I was unfaithful to my wife? What if? What would it be like on the other side of that door? What if I wasn't there to raise my own children? What if I wasn't there to comfort my own wife? What if instead of walking into this happy home, I had to move into a hotel room or an apartment or live out of my car because I had neglected my responsibilities? He says the terror of it, the terror of it keeps me from ever even considering taking another step in the wrong direction. How many of us have actually carefully thought through our actions. We've actually been willing to do the hard thing and think very carefully about what are the things that I do so that I don't have to focus on serious things about Jesus. Oh, there's a bunch of them. There's a bunch of them. Some of you drink away your conviction. Some of you smoke away your conviction. You see, that's right. I, I'm not stupid. I know. There's some of you that don't have a sober evening because to be sober is to wrestle with the person in the mirror in the sins that they are wrestling with. And I'm here to tell you today that in the bottom of that bottle, you'll never find salvation. But at the foot of the cross, you can be set free. Don't stifle conviction. Is the Lord speaking to you today? Then for goodness sakes, pray to Him right now. Speak! Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. He will not turn you away. Don't stifle conviction. Number three, don't focus on your pride. What is pride? Pride is the feeling of superiority that you have over others. It's the things in your life for which you are unwilling to learn from others. You want to find out what your pride's all about? Think about that thing or those things 
about which you're unwilling to learn from others. And when I say learn from others, I mean learn from everybody. I don't just mean learn from the experts. Some of you are so prideful about your own children that you're unwilling to hear anyone else give you advice or information on how you might do a better job of raising them. Well, that's not true about me. I read a book by James Dobson last week. That's right. You listen to James Dobson, but you're not going to listen to anybody else. Why? Because James Dobson is this expert out there somewhere that might be able to tell me something, but my peers could never actually give me any advice. Boy, the Lord beat me to death with this one a few years ago. Not quite to death. I mean, I'm still here, but he abused me. I was grateful because I had gotten into a place where, where I had grown very critical of the preaching of others as though I'm Billy Graham or something. And I was struggling to actually enjoy and be blessed and ministered to as I sat under the preaching of others. And the Lord said, Craig, first of all, you're not that good. Now, he didn't say this audibly. It wasn't like I had one of those things. He said, but second of all, you can learn from anybody. And the first time that I put that to practice, I sat under the worst sermon I think I've ever heard in my life. It was rough. It wasn't here. It was none of y'all. <laughs> but you know what I did? I, I took the Lord's conviction... I put away my notes and I listened because what I found is that if I wasn't careful, I was jotting my, my criticisms down. Instead, I just prayed, Lord, give me, give me something here. And you know what? That message that was technically terrible, that was presented terribly, that I'm not even sure was true and faithful to the scripture passage that the man was preaching from. You know what? God still gave me something out of that. When I got over my pride... You know what I became? Teachable. Humble-ish. Because he knew he was prideful, because he was prideful, Herod wasn't going to let John tell him what to do. You see that? You see, he was happy to hear John preach. A lot of you are happy to show up every Sunday morning and hear me preach. A lot of you are happy to show up every Sunday morning and sing songs to Jesus. Even go to life group. So long as we don't go too far. See, I'm a pastor. I know what too far is. I've been informed in the past. So I'm going to go too far right now. So hold on, listen. This is what too far is. Too far is this. You need Jesus. You need to get over yourself and get past your pride and allow Jesus to save you. You need to move out from your boyfriend. You need to put down your addictions. You need to turn off the porn. You need to turn off the television. And you need to say, Lord God, save me. John wasn't willing to do that. But it got worse. It got worse. You see, in his pride, John, Herod, I said John, Herod shoved John in the prison. And because he was prideful, he was not even willing to reject the request made by Herodias' daughter. Her name was Salome. Now consider the situation. Herodias is looking for a way for John to be killed. She's wanted it since day one. 
Men, be careful that you don't marry a woman like this who's trying to kill people. This is an evil lady. This is Jezebel. And so John throws a party, or Herod throws a party. We can only imagine what kind of dancing this young woman must have done to have caused him to offer her up to half of his kingdom. What would cause a man to be so irresponsible? And yet he does. Well, she, she knows that evil mama is around, and she knows that she better take care of mama. So she says, what should I ask for? How do we submit our power here, mom? She says, you go and ask for the head of John the Baptist on a platter. He's the only enemy that we have here that could keep us from accomplishing all that we want to accomplish. You see, Salome, his disciples, the people here, they listen to him. And if he continues to talk at some point, they're going to listen too much. And we're going to be out on the street. you got to get rid of him. You go and you tell John, that you tell Herod that you want John's head on a platter. And Herod's pride. Remember the Bible says he was sorrowful. Exceedingly sorry. But because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word. Now if we're not careful, we can attach some strange sort of ideal into the fact that, well, Herod was a man that kept his word. Really? No. Herod was a man who was prideful and unwilling to lose face in front of the people around him. Herod was sorry, but rather than be seen as weak, he sent and had the head of John the Baptist brought to him. How many of you are still living in your sin today because you're afraid and ashamed to be seen as weak and in need of a Savior? Don't focus on your pride. Focus on the cross. You see that Herod's pride cost him an opportunity at salvation. But Herod's pride also cost another man his life. Listen to me. Your prideful resistance to Christ doesn't only affect you, it affects those around you. Your pride will lead you to hell, but it can also lead others to hell with you. How many of you are willing to have that on your conscience? How many? Men, listen to me. Your wives want to follow you. Many of them will follow you wherever you will take them. Where are you taking them? Your daughters are going to grow up to marry men just like you, and your sons are going to become you. Where are you taking them? How awful would it be to know that your children inherited eternal damnation because you were too prideful to get over yourself? What matters so much that you wouldn't give Jesus control of your life? What matters more than eternity? Don't focus on your pride. And finally this morning, don't wait until it's too late. Don't wait. Don't wait. Don't wait. Don't wait. You're not promised tomorrow. You're not even promised this afternoon. Be saved today. You say, Craig, you're going to give me a scare tactic? Yeah, I'm going to give you a scare tactic. Because I don't know what the future holds. I don't. And neither do you. Most of us like to put off spiritual things until tomorrow. Our flesh whispers, wait. The devil is trying right now to convince you that there is still time, but you don't know. A lot of people believe that they'll get everything right before they die. Listen to me. Please listen to me. 
The vast majority of people die as they live. They die as they live. When you've lived Today is the day. Why would you wait? I'm offering you the greatest gift in the world. And you go, well, I'll put it off till tomorrow. Why well, put off till tomorrow what you can do right now? Y'all, don't underestimate the cost of resisting Christ. Hell is real and eternity is a long time. Perhaps you're one of those people who have never heard the gospel. It's hard for us to believe, but it's true. There are people right here in South Carolina that have never heard that God loves you and desires to have a relationship with you and that He paved the way for you to experience eternal life through the cross of Jesus. Some of you have never heard that you are a sinner bound for hell, but that Jesus has made a way. I'm here to tell you today that if you will call on the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. That's good news. Why do we call the gospel good news? Because that's the best news in the world. If you will call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. Well, pastor, I don't want to do it for the wrong reason. Folks, there's not a wrong reason to come to Jesus. There's not a wrong reason to come to Jesus. I don't know what God did to get you here today, but I know why you're here so that you could hear this. Come and be saved today. Maybe you've never heard it, but today you have. But there's some of you in here today, probably most of you who don't know the Lord, for whom... You have been inoculated with the gospel. Maybe you grew up in the church, or you've been attending this church for a long time, but your heart is hard to these truths. Maybe the church is just a place where you can look good, or maybe you just like to get dressed up once in a while and show up. Maybe you're just trying to put on a good face, or uh, my favorite, oh, my kids really need it. If you don't have it, your kids won't either. If you believe they need it, you better get Jesus. Hebrews 3.15 urges today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. The story of John the Baptist is a heartbreaking story of a man who gave his life to proclaim the coming of Christ and who was murdered on a whim by a jealous woman. How sad would the story would it be for the story of your life as you stand before the throne of grace? And the Lord looks at you and says, Why should I allow you into my heaven? And your best answer is, Well, I attended Malvern Hill Baptist Church when I was 18, 25, 63. Well, I tweeted out some good verses. I used to put good stuff on my Facebook wall. I fed the hungry. I donated to good causes. Depart, for I never knew you. How can you know Jesus today? Simply praying, Lord God, I know I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. 
I know that my sins have separated me from you, but today I want to be saved. I want to be changed. I want to experience the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today can be the day. Our musicians are going to come in just a moment. When our musicians show up, would you not stifle the conviction that comes from the Lord? Would you not be angry with the message of the Lord instead? Would you come today and receive the grace of Jesus Christ? Would you come and be saved? Your sins may have separated you from a holy God, but the Lamb of God died on the tree of Calvary so that you could experience salvation full and free. Pray with me right now. Lord God, I thank you for your love and your grace. Lord, I thank you for the salvation that is found in Jesus. And Father God, for those who are here today who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray, Lord God, right now that you would crucify their pride. That, Lord God, you would put to death whatever holds them in their seat and that today they would come, that they would pray and they would be saved, Lord God. Father, I pray that you would work as only you can. For your Holy Spirit would burden hearts. The power of your word would convict. And I pray, Lord God, that people within this room would come to realize that Jesus is enough. He's the cure to whatever ails us, Lord God. And he's our hope for all of eternity. Lord, the Bible teaches us that Jesus is the only way, Lord God. May we not lean upon ourselves, but trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all please stand. Please stand. And as they sing, if the Lord has burned you today, don't harden your heart as in the rebellion. Come. Don't stifle conviction. Come. Would you be saved today? Christ is enough. If I rise.